cultivation in a more uh, broader sense uh, particularly reference to conditional nature of, of meditation factors that support it internally and externally mm-hmm. so that they, we aren't really you know you get a sense of integrating what we consider meditation practice to be into our into our lives. So that uh, you know as you cultivate the path that you're generating and caring for and supporting particular conditions that make meditation, you know, the heart of meditation or the focusing aspects of meditation a lot more straightforward and always kind of you know setting up uh, unhelpful conditions meditation shouldn't just be a matter of willpower plugging away at a at a a meditation object you know sometimes that's an aspect you know using will's aspect of it but um, really you know, it's using applying oneself so that you, know, you look at particular things that are difficult, the factors that aren't there in meditation, and uh, how you can bring those around. Some of these are internal, and uh, many of them are external. And in the standard text on uh, cultivation of mindfulness, this phrase cultivating internally, cultivating externally it's one of the continual refrains referring to the body, mind, feelings and uh, dhammas so I just thought I'd read a couple of pieces from this is from Venerable Analeo's book on Satipatthana And so he gives a references to the commentary, the Patisambhidamaga, on overcoming or inhibiting the hindrances. So when you you feel you can't meditate, or your meditation isn't going well, it's to say, well, actually, you know, what particular, you know, maybe a whole range of hindrances, but which one is the leading one? You know, or we might say, so what is the enlightenment factor that is not there so 
you, know, you look in the fourth foundation of mindfulness, it, these are the two real axes of it. You, know, you look at the negative and how you can inhibit or obstruct or remove the negative and then you look at the positive factors and how you can generate or bring those to bear. So you can you, know, you just stand back from the meditation and look at it objectively. What really is the, you know, is it no calms, no joy, um, there's no no energy, uh, there's no investigation, um, you know, or the quality of restlessness is very strong, or the sense of dullness, or it feels crabby and ill will. Mm-hmm. And so there's kind of so like an external objective review rather than just being in there kind of oh, working with this struggling with this you know so if we if we take meditation we just it's kind of like an internal quality then very often you're actually you're in the hindrance and naturally that very hindrance you, you're almost kind of reconditioning it you're in its spin, and 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 because you're being affected by that, um, then it 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 kind of you get this recycling of it because you're in a state of restlessness. You feel restless and unhappy. Because you feel unhappy, you feel a sense of ill will or sense desire, you know, and so forth. Whereas just so, sometimes you've got to kind of come out to a place almost like a neutral ground. Actually, this is what your will feels like that's what it is and uh, it makes me you know it feels like this in my body and um, you know it, it moves through these topics so that time we're just kind of reviewing it you know from objectively rather than just feeling the the rancor or the distress of it in itself so you come out you come to a place which is neutral and then you can investigate, and then you can, well, actually, what particular factors would allay this? And this sense of this kind of agility is really, you know, crucial in sati and sampajanya mindfulness and full awareness. Anyway, so the five hindrances, sense, desire, the factors for overcoming or inhibiting this general acquaintance with and form, formal meditation on the body's unattractiveness, guarding the senses, moderation in food, good friends and suitable conversation. Aversion. General acquaintance with and formal meditation on loving kindness, reflecting on the karmic consequences of one's deeds, repeated wise consideration good friends and suitable conversation. Sloth and torpor, lessening food intake, changing meditation postures, mental clarity or cognition of light, even just looking at light, staying outdoors, good friends and suitable conversation. Restlessness and worry, good knowledge of the, of the discourses, Clarification of the discourses through questioning, being well versed in ethical conduct, visiting experienced elders, good friends, and suitable conversation.
doubt, good knowledge of the discourses, clarification of the discourses through questioning, being well versed in ethical conduct, strong commitment, good friends, and suitable conversation. So, yeah, there's one very, very clear theme running through that, isn't there? You know, apart from all anything else, there's the, the Kalyanamitta and the Dhammakata suitable conversation. You know, it's really much a, an external reference, something that you can you can go to. It's certainly you know not not kind of an internal thing. Um, so that's we might say this is the most you know obvious. Uh, and paramount external factor in this. When we look at the supportive conditions for developing the Bojanga, the enlightenment faculties, mindfulness to support and develop this, mindfulness and clear knowledge, avoiding unmindful people and associating with mindful people, Inclining the mind accordingly towards the development of sati. Investigation. Theoretical inquiry, bodily cleanliness, balance of the five spiritual faculties, avoiding unwise people and associating with wise people. Reflecting on the deeper aspects of the Dhamma. Inclining the mind accordingly. Energy, reflecting on the fearfulness of their planes of misery, your hell realms and unfortunate states, seeing the benefits of effort, reflecting on the path to be practiced, honoring the offerings one has received, reflecting on the inspiring qualities of the tradition one is following, one's teacher, one's status as a follower of the Buddha, companions in the holy life, avoiding lazy people and associating with energetic people, inclining the mind accordingly. Joy, recollecting the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, one's virtue, one's acts of generosity, heavenly beings, and the peace of realization, avoiding rough people and associating with refined people, reflecting on inspiring discourses, inclining the mind accordingly. Tranquility, good food, agreeable weather, (laughs) comfortable posture. So that's the problem. (laughs) Balanced behaviour, avoiding restless people and associating with calm people, inclining the mind accordingly. Concentration, samadhi, bodily cleanliness, balancing the fire faculties, skill in taking up the sign of concentration, skill in inciting, restraining, gladdening, and not interfering with the mind at the right time. Avoiding distracting people, distracted people, and associating with attentive people. Reflecting on the attainment of absorption, inclining the mind accordingly. 
equanimity, detachment towards people and things, avoiding prejudiced people and associating with impartial people, inclining the mind accordingly. <laughs> so there's another very strong theme that runs through this one, which is this, this is the internal, abiding internal uh, feature, which is the inclination, intent, you might say, inclining the mind accordingly, which is a sort of like actually deliberately having that sense of, I need to, I need to develop, I need to calm down. I need to just, I need, to, or a joy. You know? And then that kind of inclination, and then looking and considering, you know, what, what actually will do that? Hmm. Can't say be happy, be joyful, but what actually will bring joy around, or, or, um, ease, tranquility? And externally, again, the, the quality of the people we associate with is uh, a continual theme in that way. So you see these two internal, external references, you know, simple ones, standard ones, the inclination. And if, we, if I ask myself, you know, in meditation, which I really incline the mind you know, towards calm or towards mindfulness or something like that. Many of the time I don't actually consciously, I forget to do that. So though I may be inclining the mind towards the breath, I'm inclining it in a kind of, maybe a dutiful way or a hasty or a hurried way or a kind of, well, I suppose I've got to do this, you know, kind of not very bright way or not a joyful way or not a relaxed way calm way, way that brings a sense of ease not a, you know one misses the, the the tonal quality you know, getting the right tonal quality that is necessary you know, sometimes it's the sense of the comforting, reassuring that which gives a sense of, you know contentment Um, and you know, that, so that that you know, realizing one has to deliberately incline, and was encouraged to deliberately incline. And this is not just purely by saying the word, you know, be happy, be joyful, but but bringing up the uh, tones, the memories, the reflections, the attitudes, um, you know that are in tune with that. Mm. And very often when one is, mind is in the grip of a hindrance, the first thing you have to do is actually just step out of it. Mm. Not necessarily suppress it, but but come out to, and this is the sense of the, the external objective reference is the first thing, that this is restlessness. Because one of the main difficulties is the quality of of delusion, or uh, which which is one of the three primary roots: poisons, greed, hatred, delusion. And delusion is the most difficult one 
you know, you're, you're deluded, you don't know it. You know, the mind is distracted, it, it, it's, it's foggy, it's cloudy. Um, and it often misses the point. So with delusion can be a ground, it can be something which is about, um, produces wrong views, deluded views, um, opinions, um, um, conceits. So we're not really getting to the, the point of the irritation or the grief or the, um, you know, whatever it is. Instead, the mind is kind of, you know, missing that and just conjuring up either things that are directly distracted or thinking, you know, justifying it or blaming someone, which is actually missing the point. You know, and we can recognize that because that, when we do that, actually just goes on and on and on forever. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and the, the deluding quality of the mind says, oh, it's really, it's something you've really got to think this through. You're going to absorb into how you're going to do this or why they didn't do that or how you never got enough of this and they always do this and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it's all, yeah. You know, mind that will produce ample evidence to support these moods. And, you know, there's obviously a good grain of truth in it. You know, it's not completely fabricated. You can, you can assemble enough statistics to it. But the point is we're looking for liberation, not, not justice. <laughs> so, wait a minute, I'm missing the point of how angry and upset I feel. That's it, isn't it? And what's happening in my body right now? You know, the heart's pounding or the body feels tense. Well, they just walk up and down. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's that sense of really, you know, to come through delu- delusion, you have to recognize, you know, the, not getting the topics, but the very spin of it, like stand outside it and then start to objectively review, you know, this is, a, you know, the real core quality of this of this hindrance is experience you may have several ill will restlessness doubt but you just take you know one maybe the the, the restlessness of it mm-hmm. and then what combats that something that's steady steadying we may not be able to find that in the mind or in the breathing so you just walk Mm-hmm. Without um, putting a lot of of um, agitation into that, just walk steadily, stand. You find something that's simple and steadying, or a trustworthy person, or a situation where you you feel you know there's there's friendliness or warmth or serenity or stillness. Doesn't even mean you've got to engage with it, but just pick up the tone. Sometimes coming to the Dhamma Hall. You know, I find that if I've you know, been very busy, I'm kind of business meetings and, well, you're kind of concerned about the heating or the finances or what to do is that, the other, it's kind of agitating. And come and just 
stick my head in the Dhamma Hall. Oh, oh yeah, that's what it's all about. You know, the empty space, Buddha, you know, cool, calm, sense of stability. It was just picking up the tone. You feel the, you know, the mind comes out. But with the the quality of uh, delusion, then gives rise this sense you've got to really get in there and sort it out, think it through, figure it out. We may not even really recognise it, what it is. So again, an objective reference, you might notice. Wait a minute, I've I've gone into the house, gone upstairs, gone down again, forgotten this, forgotten that, forgotten where my shoes are, uh, bumped into somebody in the hallway. I think something's not quite right here. Mindfulness is not present. I haven't been able to bear a thing in mind. I've I've, forgotten where I put my keys, forgotten where I put the shoes, been upstairs, downstairs, got halfway upstairs, remembered I was supposed to be downstairs, got downstairs, remembered I've forgotten something upstairs. You know, this is like contemplating one's behaviour. Bumped into somebody, you know, was very abrupt. Wait a minute, something. You know, so you just kind of reflect, looking externally, not judging it, but it's like, look what he's doing. That's what he's doing. Um, what would you say about that? Is that is that the sign of calm or no? It's just like agitation, restlessness. Not blaming because we say, well, the causes and conditions bring that around. But at least being able to know it, so we're not, you know, continuing in that mode, taking responsibility for it. Mm. The uh, quality of Kalyanamitta as an external reference is also helpful. You talk to somebody and suddenly, you know, hear yourself speaking oh dear <laughs> See, <laughs> you know, agitated I uh, didn't realise that you know, that there's quite a lot of, of uh, ill will there you know, when I'm actually able to, to verbalise what's going on and the use of Kalyanamita I think it to be quite a, uh, aware it's a specific sense of relationship which is not really involved we tend to see or think relationships about actually you know getting involved with somebody um, you know on a kind of personal level um, whereby you're actually more like you know seeking or interested in in getting particular emotional effects going with Kelly and Amita is more like for the purpose of Dhamma reflection. So someone is like the good listener, the sounding board, the one who can be objective, who you feel trust with, who just give you either the presence of someone who's just calm and attentive, where you hear yourself, or someone who may just listen and say, oh, mm, oh, what do you think's happening right now? You know? Just like a mirror. Of course, in our our lives, we're probably a bit of both, you know, some degree in which we are 
can we have that objectivity and I imagine most of us also you know have some sense of you know enjoying or or being uplifted or getting involved um, but I think one should recognize uh, that you know whatever the the warmth there is in involvement there's also you know the pangs of it and the um, the sorrows of it and you know the more deliberate and perhaps rarer thing to develop within relationship is that sense of steady objectivity which is not a kind of cold objectivity but a caring objectivity a good listener and kind of using the external reference as long as we don't really see ourselves someone who can say well you know, you know, you see your meditation is going this way. Do you realise that you, you know, you, you look very ill to me, actually? Isn't that? Oh, yeah, I suppose I am. You know, so we don't want to take into account that perhaps where the body is diseased, or where the body is stressed, or you know, we've done a lot of hard work. You know. Or we've been in, been, been in very um, testing circumstances. A good friend is someone who says, "Well, it was this and that, wasn't there?" You know, rather than, uh, "Well, you should be more mindful." <laughs> and it's uh, uh, amazing, actually, the that we look, we don't, we don't see it, we don't see ourselves very well. Take these causal conditions into account because of the abiding delusion of, of self, which means you know I am this right now. I I do or I don't do. There's no real full awareness of there isn't an I who does things. There are just the particular conditions arising in the present moment. So once you start saying I med- I can meditate or I can't meditate. Already, you know, one is missing the point. You, nobody meditates. <laughs> Essentially, it's just, you know, causes conditions there or not there. And uh, if if one uses the full scope of sati-sampajani internally, externally, the sense of just reviewing what's, what's needed, what's present, what's absent. It's why these... You know, learning or reviewing some of these these lists is quite useful. You know, the basic stuff as an external reference. I would say because there's quite a lot of that uh, feeling of, of stress and suffering and uh, uh, worry, agitation, a bit of feeling you can't make it and do it, that uh, you know, the most important um, reflections are going to be those that bring around joy and contentment and tranquility. Mm.
these are things that people seem to um, lack by and large often quite good investigators and you know this nature but since they're just contentment well-being joy and there are <coughs> you're going to incline the mind that way here again you begin the obvious external references are the the uh, Buddha Dhamma Sangha the, the good friends the people we've been with our good deeds you know. um, so and if you're I- inclining in terms of cultivating the path then that itself is something to bear in mind and just bring up that reflection is that and there's all the you know less inspiring moods and thoughts but there's this um, inclination towards truth towards purity towards check, even being real with oneself to actually owning up to what's going on that's, that's, if you kind of pick up the tone of that it's a sense of dignity truthfulness honesty to me this is this is steady stabilizing if we have the good fortune to um, you know, cultivate in in a, in a community and there are, there are sometimes a lot of difficulties with that you know on the effective level the you know, disagreements and irritations that occur but if we look at it objectively and cultivate objectively you get a lot of uh, contentment so I think in terms of you know um, many years I've spent as a, as a monk then there's quite a lot of disharmony and disagreements and things going wrong with people because it's the place where stuff comes up isn't it where the suffering and the confusions and the pangs get revealed and a lot of that gets projected and sloshes around and um, it's quite stressful But I can also recognise that uh, there's always been good intent. A lot of confusion. There's been good intent. I can't say anybody has actually come here in order to create problems and be a pain and be irritating. Mm-hmm. Uh, good intent and things. Certainly, you know, in the summoner training, it's almost the, the beauty of it is it's kind of, was kind of laid down the, the, the qualities of, of duties and attendance uh, and mutuality that, are, that is almost stipulated whether you like people or don't like them. You, know, you, you kind of join in, you serve, you help, and uh, you know whatever the mood is. I found that really helpful. At first, you think maybe sort of, well, I'm uh, busy, a bit insincere, or just 
But I, now I'm very pleased that I've spent years actually serving people, whether they were like me, didn't like me, were confused, intimidated by me, whether I felt, you know, perplexed or, you know, whatever. Still, basically, you know, I'm supported. So that's something that I can, when if I reflect on it in that way, then my, so I can consider, you know, my teacher, Richard Sumedha, that, you know, certainly 14 years at least, giving, you know, I didn't, gave him support without stint for 14 years, and still I like to do that. It's 14 years, pretty much solid. Of, um, you know, if he asks for something, I would do it. If he asked me to go somewhere, I'd do it. And I would look towards ways of attending. Um, many years at, eight years, I think, at Amarwadi, most, most days I would go around to his kuti and massage his feet. He has a bad foot, as you know. And I may have already been working all day. That you know, from eight in the morning till five, and then five thirty go around massage Yajan's feet. It wasn't like, wow, this is a great fun thing to do, but just hey, this is the thing we do, and um, you know that that was what I wanted to do, and certainly in terms of of living with this person, you know, it wasn't like. I felt really easy and uh, relaxed with him at first. I felt a bit emotionally I'm quite awkward, a bit shy and withdrawn you know, by nature. So it's not bad as it used to be, but very withdrawn and awkward and sort of a bit tongue-tied and all that. But I just, you know, you don't have to be that kind of chummy. Just, just go around and do it. Go around clean the cootie go around, wash his cups, go around, you know, just sit there <laughs> and do something, you know, and, and let the relationship come from there rather than get all warmed up and nice and when we've, you know, then we can do things, just do it and and, and that. Uh, and uh, actually it was, my, it was very good like that because I, I realised that I didn't particularly want, um, I, you know, it wasn't objected to, I wasn't looking for um, company so much as just the steady, calm presence I could do good with. You know, it wasn't complicated good. It was just simple. Clean the cootie, you know, tidy the, you know, fix the toilet, you know, write the letter. You know, it wasn't complicated, esoteric, which is kind of basic stuff. And just doing it uh, with a sense of this is an offering. I feel very good at that. I don't congratulate myself, but actually, you know, if, I, if I reflect on it, there's a little warm, joyful, you know, thing happens in the heart. So I can pick that up, and then the quality of the, the joyfulness, when the mind receives that, it settles, it, it shrugs off the worries and the sense of never did this and don't get that and settles 
joyful, contented. I have done good in my life. I haven't just been a, you know, didn't quite get enough of this and wasn't very good at that and let somebody down here and never got there on time and didn't quite make it as a monk, you know, and wasn't the greatest and so forth. But, you know, whatever the mind can come up with on the self-view, I've done good. There's been that intent to do it without asking really for anything back. And we've all done this. You've all done this. You'll do it. Sometimes, you, you know, clearly I imagine sometimes you don't want to do it. You're not in a great mood. It's not, you know the most wonderful thing you're looking for, the thing you're really here for. But you, you do it. And having done so, I mean, because this is almost like part of the, the, the bit, you just kind of re- remember, recollect. And then you feel the, through that the sense of you've been honourable. People who've served on the retreat this time and continue to do so you know, it's probably agitating and stuff thinking well you know it's been that quiet and so forth but you've done good you said you'd serve and you've served and you've made that commitment you kept it and just a simple thing like that you know step outside and and look at what you you know the, the unskillful things that you could have been doing or, or, you know, and just be pleased. Take the time to, to take in the, the merit of, of the life. Incline the mind accordingly. This is very often the, you know, rather than just picking up the, the, the meditation theme or the technique, just check in with yourself. What do you need to incline your mind towards? What will bring it there? Living this um, the simplicity of the requisites, you know, the fact that one has what's necessary. There's plenty of other things we could want, but we have the food, the clothes, medicines, and so on. Ample quality of contentment. And this when you. In other words, we can see how the mind, particularly in a, in a commercial materialist society, that is not is not trained to be content with things we have, but always 
inclination towards better, newer, cleaner, finer, brighter, and so on. Sense of you know, you don't have to be in that game. Isn't that nice? Maybe a topic that we don't really think about that much. Isn't it nice to be out of the game? Mm-hmm. Peaceful. Out of the game of, of you know attracting people, trying to look good, trying to impress people, trying to be a winner, trying to be a star, and trying to be pretty or handsome and fast talking and witty. Isn't it nice to be out of all that rigmarole? Incline the mind accordingly. You can also develop this, um, the external reference as a kind of you know, much more immediately, intimately. Mm. So when you, you're sitting, meditation, just coming to almost like where are you sitting? We can get embroiled internally. Coming out, just reflect on sitting. How the body sits. Is the body sitting comfortably? Is it appropriate to be sitting? Is it straining the body? Is it something that supports the enlightenment factors? Or is it something that's just creating a lot of um, disturbance and agitation? And walking, standing, reclining. I've actually started developing reclining meditation um, not just uh, in order to be to be sleepy, but because actually I I don't have the sleep problem, so I can now recline without falling asleep. And it's just feeling how the body feels different, how the energies are different, how the perceived texture and shape and density of the body shifts and changes, and the attitudes. You're sitting, it can be a kind of subtle attitude of having to hold it, hold it still, or hold it up, and reclining, and the mind changes, and the very sense of the body shifts. Externally, consider when you, where you're living. You look, go into your room and think, who do you think lives here? So this aspect of the, the external realm, the cleanliness or, or that which gives rise to clarity, you look around, it looks a pretty agitated person living here. With bits of a sock over the bedside lamp, and two books half read, turned face down, you know, so a cup with some unwashed cup, tea bag in the corner. <laughs> Someone who's <laughs> actually got a quality of composure, you know, clarity. 
And these all have their, these ways that we can begin to get some perspective on ourselves, what we need to develop. Contemplating the body externally, how it is in its environment. So a few days ago I was walking up and down in the courtyard and I didn't have my woolly hat on and brought it out. So I'm walking up and down, walking there. And it's quite cold but... I can go internally and just be walking along feeling the, the movements and the internal qualities of the body and just noticing it's funny how there's this kind of shaking occurring <laughs> but it doesn't matter <laughs> you know I can just kind of keep going and the body's shaking with cold and just keep, keep going but then I actually started to I know, I know you can do this but if the body is shaking with cold, it's probably good to put some more clothes on. It's taken quite a few years to, to get around to that. You know, I always get so internal in my practice because I'm always you know, cutting bits off it and bashing it and, because I don't really recognize or fully... I go so internally, it's, it's such a um, strong feature in my mind, it goes in all the time, the withdrawing kind of mind. It doesn't go out to the world. It doesn't take much interest in the external realm, including this physical form. And it's sort of like just to stand outside. It doesn't. This isn't. You know, it's just a kind of way of contemplating that, because maybe that's why there's a sense of. Uh, Stress or strain, you're pushing it too hard, or it gets sick, you break bits of it. Contemplating the body externally, just noticing what it's like in particular environments, say when it's sunny and warm, how the body feels, how it feels when it's cold and windy. How it feels when you're on your own. How it feels when you're with a group of people. And there could be subtler somatic effects of that. You're slightly withdrawn, perhaps, in a, in a group of other people, slightly more self-conscious. So I notice this, again, my disposition. I'm not that attentive to it, but quite self-conscious so I notice this in London you know, so I make the effort to actually come out a bit talk to people on trains things of that nature just to come out of the kind of slightly cowed state that you get into in the public domain because then if one's in that then the, the mind is not you know, your mind picks up that defensive uh, effect 
you contemplate it? You know, where is the where's the where's the tension now? Where's the stress now? Where's the where's the uh, brightness now? Where's the ease now? Contemplating body externally, one's own body, the bodies of others. So you can consider these physical forms. And then the, the aspects that bring around the sense of, of uh, calm or steadiness of physical forms, composed, still quiet. You, you, know, you can pick up that aspect. Of course, the mind can go to, you know, funny hairdo she's got, or don't like his socks, or something like that. But just, just be picking up the, the aspects that are supportive, rather than the, the the ways that hindrances evolve around what we feel, think about people, or what we think they're thinking. Just kind of attuned to, you know, incline the mind towards supportive perceptions contemplating the feelings internally and externally when you're in a feeling mental feeling, physical feeling the roll, the throw of it the surge of it the pressure of it this is the internal quality which is very often where we would tend to go into that, it being affected and moved around, and then it's coming out. Like, so this is this is feeling. This is how feel, this particular feeling affects the body, or the part of the body that's affected by the feeling. Well, this is how the feeling affects the mind in an external sense. We notice that, um, say, an unpleasant feeling causes the mind to to move fast or to shatter, or to scatter, or to tighten up. So you're looking at things in that sense, objectively. And it helps to take one away from the turmoil of the just the purely effective level of experience. This is what happiness does. Unhappiness is like this. Contemplating the mind internally, externally. When we're in the mental states. This is the heat of passion. The rigidity, the pressures of mental states. The flurry of mental states. You can feel the sense of just being driven or heated up or pressed back. And you can also step outside. So this is this is what the mind is this is what the mind is doing. Mm. Running around, hiding, 
holding on, you know, was to draw a picture of what it would, what it's like. The drawing, you may have seen it in the Dawn of the Dhamma, the drawing I did of my mind in 1976 after three months of, three or four months of meditation in the monastery, the mad monkey. This kind of crazed ape with eyes going in a different direction, tongue hanging out, <laughs> clawing at empty space. <laughs> it was great, I really enjoyed that drawing. It was exactly what my mind was like. <laughs> Freaked out ape. <laughs> so, but that is helpful. <laughs> Just to, just to be able to kind of be objective about it, sort of like drawing a picture of it, describing what it's what it's doing, what it's like. And there's a mind like a slug, isn't it? There's like a shivering little wet mouse cowering in a corner. Sometimes like a blazing dragon. Sometimes it's like sun and moon. Sometimes it's like mist and rain. Sometimes it's sweet. Sometimes it's sour. But rather than just being in those effects, just stepping out. It's like that. Like that. So you kind of picture it, draw it. What would it look like? And that's helpful. Because at that moment we we step outside of the purely the edge of the effective into something that your intention is then no longer in the effect. Your intention is just to know, describe, witness that effect. And that external movement supports that quality of, of shifting your intent away from this edge where it's getting captured by the, the mental state of course we can also see it in others can't we, the mind externally this is someone else getting angry this is someone else feeling joy this is someone else Expressing gratitude. This is somebody else having sorrow. It looks like this. I know that. That's, that's what happens for me. Mm. But perhaps more accurately, it's our own mind we can see externally. Contemplating the, the hindrances and the enlightenment factors internally and externally is what doubt does. This is what uh, joy it does feels like these are the conditions that support it so when you see these things internally and externally which is right which is it You contemplate the body internally, how it's the warmth, the pressures, the heat, the tingling internally. You contemplate it externally, it's kind of form, shape, moving around in the environment. Very different experiences. And as you begin to see that, you see that all of it is to do with the cognition, effect and intent. What you intend, what the you know, is is what you you'll 
cognize. You don't often recognize that your intent can be captured by delusion or fascination or ill will, so that therefore you cognize particular features that support that. Intent goes that way. So the, the body can be either something that's exciting, delightful, repulsive, repugnant, source of sorrow, source of vanity. Because the intent gets captured towards you know, making it a source of pleasure or a source of displeasure. And therefore, the, the, con- the cogni- cognitive effects that support that are then brought up. What about if your intent is just to... Well, here it is, you know. Just to know it, internally, externally. You begin to free the intent from these cognitive and affective patterns. And then the body is nothing, really. It's something, it's nothing. It's just a reference. And there's not much you can say about it. It's just this. You know, so you could say it's male or female. Well, that's not always really what it is or relevant. You could say it's big or small, but that's not always relevant. So eventually it's just, just there is this body. And uh, that clearing of the the, um, cycle of effects and hunger for effects and distaste over effects, just dropping effects. So the intent becomes very clear. Uh, just as a intent is just to be present, knowing. And that very quality of intent, that quality of knowing, that that's your meditation theme. You know, you, you kind of, that's the core of the meditation. Yeah. You just abide in that uprightness, that clarity, that dispassion, that cessation of karma, cessation of effects, the relinquishment, the not wanting to bother with them, the not, you know, the not messing around with them. And then the, the, the intent stands and the knowing stands free. And you can, the mind, you can settle and steady and stabilize within that development of samadhi. If you incline the mind that way, you can rejoice in it, feel contented with it, feel how simple it is, really. It's a matter of using the, the will and the intent, the direction with wisdom, discernment, with this supported by the understanding of conditions and the understanding of karma, and the understanding of um, the good that we inherit, the opportunities that we have in our practice. So it's to you know, that sense of getting, you know, stuck into a state, stuck in the place, stuck in a sense of helplessness, means it's time to shift.
move around, come out, reflect. This is all very much the the supportive environment for for, uh, for meditation. The Buddha didn't really differentiate. Um, you know, medit- didn't even use the word meditation. But cultivation, bhavana, calming, gladdening, insight. So it isn't just a purely, you know, on my own inside experience that we're talking about. In fact, that that experience will always be limited and uh, tricky. So tonight is the Marga Puja night, so you can bear in mind we're still in uh, a tradition and a teaching laid down by an enlightened being, carried out through thousands of disciples. Just to feel what one's in, the goodness that one's in. We can think of all the difficult things we're in and the difficult karma we've had and the difficult scenarios of our life but also think of the reflect on using the Magapudra the, the goodness that you're in that you inherit that you're in touch with mm. and so we can cultivate um, through the night <laughs>